you so much. Good evening, ladies. You're lopsided. There's more over here than this way, so those over there didn't get their shower today. And it's good to be here this evening, and thank you for inviting me. I believe this is my third time at this church, and uh, Rebecca has been uh, a sweet friend through the years, and I thank God for her and and for her husband, Terry, and the ministry they have here in a dark part of the, the U.S., right? But anymore, the whole world is becoming dark, right? Uh, even Oklahoma, that's basically conservative, uh, is still becoming a dark place. So uh, we know evil men become worse and worse, and that's where we're headed, right? Uh, to, the, to the portion where probably there will be a great falling away, and we see some of that. Uh, going on even today. So, but I'm thankful to be here and to be a part of cultivating truth for life. And, you know, as we think about cultivating truth, uh, we need to get back to the truth of holy living. You know, our brother Peter says we are to be holy as he is holy. Why? Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And yet, my friend, we have forsaken holiness. I am grieved at the amount of women I have met through the 26 years that Deb and I have been traveling that think that holy living is optional. Uh, no longer are we called to be separated, and yet God called us to be holy. He chose us before the foundation in, of the world that we might be holy uh, before him in love, and yet we have lost the art of holiness and so because we are to cultivate a holy life, I'm going to be speaking uh, four times this weekend, and you have an outline before you, but we're going to be talking about holy living. Uh, tonight, we're going to look at David's vow to live a holy life in his home, in his heart, and in his city. And then tomorrow, we're going to be looking at living holy by walking in the light. We have many today that have rephrased Romans 6.1, which says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And some well-meaning Christians today say, yes, we should. <laughs> we should continue in our sin that grace may abound. We should walk in darkness so that grace may abound. But our brother John's going to say something a little bit different. And ladies, we are to be walking in the light as he is in the light. And so we're going to be looking tomorrow living holy by walking in the light, also by having a correct attitude towards sin. Uh, it's been amazing through, to me through the years how many people uh, that have come in for counseling in the 20 plus years I've been certified that uh, minimize their sin, they justify their sin, they blame their sin, they, psych, they psych, psychologize their sin, and they will not own up to sin. And yet John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And he's talking about the gospel. It is not in us. And I remember specifically one time counseling a woman, and she said, I have been to many Christian counselors. You are the first one that's told me I'm in sin. And I said, well, I'm not a Christian counselor. I'm a biblical counselor. I believe the Bible is sufficient. So beware of Christian counselors. And then last but not least, we're going to be looking at holy living by making sure, ladies, that, uh, you know, some people outwardly, they pretend to be holy, uh, they're legalists, they're moralists, and uh, Jesus condemns that. And so we're going to look and make sure that we are living holy in our heart, uh, wanting to please the Lord and not doing things so that we can be seen by men. And that's called hypocrisy. And Jesus says there will be no hypocrites 
in heaven. They will be in hell where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we want to make sure that, uh, yes, we want to live a holy life, but we want to make sure that we're living holy for the right reasons, right? To please one, and that's him. Not to please others and not to be seen of others. So uh, that's the journey we're going to be looking at. And just a reminder that without holiness, no one will see the Lord, as the writer to the Hebrews says. So holy living is important. It's not archaic. It's still for the 2023, and we need to get back to that. So for tonight, if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 101. Psalm 101. And we are going to be looking at David's vow to live a holy life. When I was a little girl uh, growing up in a Baptist minister's home in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, there was a song that we often sung in Sunday school, and uh, the title was, Oh, Be Careful. I don't know if children still sing this today or not, but uh, don't worry, I won't sing it all for you. But basically it was, you know, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a father up above looking down in tender love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. And it's not just your eyes. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little hands, what you do. Be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. And why? Because there's a father up above looking down in tender love. And we would do this. You know, he's looking down in tender love. So be careful. And ladies, the fact that you and I have a father up above that's looking down should cause us to behave godly, right? We have a father that we can never get away from. Psalm 139 says, there is nowhere that we can go that we can escape his presence. It's impossible. And yet I am afraid many of us take our hands places they shouldn't go, our feet places they shouldn't go, uh, our mouths say things they shouldn't go good say, our ears listen to things, they should not be listening to. Now, I don't know who wrote that song that I used to sing as a little girl growing up in a Baptist minister's home, but I've often wondered if the author of that song had Psalm 101 in mind because the title in my Bible says, A Vow to Live a Holy Life. And as I read Psalm 101, I want you to see if you can pick up on the various parts of the body that David desires to consecrate to his Lord, to be holy. So let's read it together. Notice what he writes. I will sing of mercy and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It will not cling to me. A perverse heart will depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, he will serve me. He who works deceit will not dwell within my house. He who tells lies will not continue in my presence. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now, just a little bit of background about Psalm 101. It was written by David, 
We cannot be dogmatic on the time. Uh, most people believe that David wrote this psalm as he was getting ready to enter into domestic life. And these are the rules that he wants to set down for his household. And so if any of you are getting ready to get married or get engaged, you might want to have this psalm uh, calligraphied and hung in your uh, entrance of your home because these would be good rules to govern your home by, right? But they're also good rules for our churches and even our businesses. Uh, psalm 101 was also called the Prince's Psalm. And the reason for this is anytime a king or an official would do something wrong, uh, they would hand him this piece of scripture and he would have to read it. So uh, one of you brave women, uh, make a copy of it and send it to Joe Biden and uh, we'll see how that will go, right? But uh, it would be a great idea if our officials, our governors and our senators would read this every morning, right? Especially the slander part and, and the lying part, you know? So uh, that's just a little bit of background about the psalm. But you have an outline there before you. We're going to look at David's vow for a holy heart, a holy home, and a holy city. And let's look first of all at his vow for a holy heart, heart. And ladies, as we do, notice all the I wills. I will, I will in these first four verses. Why do I say that? David's determined to live a holy life. I will. Ladies, you have a choice. You have a choice every day. You can either vow to live a holy life or you can choose to live an unholy life. Uh, we are to practice self-control, right? That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. And so God is sovereign, but we are responsible. So notice what he says first. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord. I will sing praises. So ladies, David's first phrase in his prayer and the first rule of his house, his life, is to sing of mercy and justice. Now, what is this? Well, mercy is kindness or favor, and justice is a verdict of doing what is right. Now, why would David vow to sing of mercy and justice? Why would he do this? Well, in thinking about it, I thought of two reasons why David would vow to sing of mercy and justice. Number one, David is balanced in his theology. He wants to sing about both aspects of God. His love, we love to sing about God's love, right? But he also wants to sing about his justice. Now, ladies, you feel notice most of the modern songs that we sing today are about what? The love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God. We Have you ever heard a song about God's wrath? Not, they're not the popular ones that we sing, right? But maybe we should write some songs about the justice of God. God is angry with the wicked every day. I haven't heard a song about that lately. But David wanted to sing about both parts of who God is. Ladies, we have an unbalanced view of God. One man said this, man was made in the image of God, but today man has made God in his image. And ladies, we pray to this God often that we've made in our image, not the God of the Bible. But we shouldn't be surprised at this, that we've made a God in our own image. Paul says to his son Timothy in the faith, he said, preach the word, be diligent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Why? For the time is going to come, they're not going to endure sound doctrine, right? They're going to want their ears tickled. They're going to turn away from truth and they're going to turn to fables. And ladies, this is the day and the age in which we live. We are no longer hearing truth from the pulpit, which is probably why many of us are not living a holy life because we're not convicted because the shepherds today, I, many of them are not true shepherds, are not teaching a true truth from God's word. 
We want our ears tickled. We want our ears tickled. We want to hear fables. Secondly, David sings of both mercy and justice because he would praise God no matter what. If God was showing love to David, he would praise him. If God was showing his justice to David, he would praise him. He would sing to him. And ladies, notice who he sings to here in this verse. The Lord. The word for Lord here is Jehovah, which means the self-existent one, the eternal one. Ladies, David had a beautiful talent of singing music. He played his harp. He, he wanted to use that talent for the Lord, and yet he wanted to be balanced in his music. And this is the first rule of his home. The first rule of his domestic life is not only to be balanced in his music and his theology, but also to sing in all circumstances of life, the good times and the bad times. Let me ask you, are you balanced in your music? Can you sing in all circumstances of life? Do you only enjoy songs that tickle your ears? How great thou art, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Those are great songs, right? But are you just as thrilled to sing songs that have to do with the justice of God? Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me, make me. You know what that means, trials, right? After your will, do we sing songs, take my life and let it be nearer my God to thee? Do Are you just as thrilled to sing about those kind of songs? And ladies, can you sing when life is difficult? When you're suffering? When you're persecuted? When you lose a loved one? When there's problems in your church? Problems in your family? Problems in your marriage? Can you sing then? Can you sing? And by the way, before we go on, I would like to challenge your thinking about the types of music you listen to since we're talking about holy living. Would you say the music you listen to honors God? Are the lyrics edifying? Would you be ashamed if Christ were in your car listening to your radio or in your home listening to your favorite Pandora station or something on your device? Remember, ladies, he is. Remember, he is right there. He is listening to what you are listening to. Some of the lyrics of the music today are nothing but trash and vile and sensual. Ladies, we need to think, not be deceived. What goes in comes out, right? And so we need to be even careful about the music we listen to. Well, not only does David vow to be balanced in his music, but he vows to behave himself. Look at verse 2. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Now, when David says he will behave himself wisely, he means he will behave himself in a prudent manner, practicing common sense. I want to be blameless as I go through my house. In fact, the word perfect here, blameless, describes the animals that they would sacrifice in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, you know that they had to offer a sacrifice that had to be without blemish. It's interesting, uh, this is one of the qualifications of an older woman who disciples a young woman. She is to have behavior that's blameless. That's that of a priestess. She is to behave herself wisely. And ladies, just because some of you aren't gray-headed like me doesn't mean you're off the hook because we're all supposed to be blameless, right? Uh, we're all supposed to be separate and be set apart. Ladies, what others say about you, that you behave yourself in a wise way? Would others look at the place, places you go, the things you listen or watch, 
and think, now there goes a woman who's walking with the Lord and striving to live a blameless life. David says, I want to walk within my house with a perfect heart. Ladies, this is so important because our homes are places where we think nobody is there, but God is there. And as Charles Haddon Spurgeon says, what you are at home is what you are. And so ladies, what you are when nobody is around is who you truly are. And so we need to think about that. Now, sandwiched between the I wills is an interesting phrase. Oh, when will you come to me? What's David saying here? God, I can't do this. I cannot walk within my house with a perfect heart. I cannot do this unless you help me by your spirit. Ladies, David realizes something you and I should realize. You and I cannot walk within our house with a perfect heart without the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, we are blessed to have the Holy Spirit in us. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. David didn't have that privilege. That's why he says, oh, when will you come to me? Remember that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament came and went. And so David knew that. He said, oh, when will you come to me? When will you help me? Walk within my house with a perfect heart. For example, ladies, you might want to be a better wife this evening. Maybe you're saying, you know, I want to be a better wife. I want to be kinder to my neighbors or my children or my husband. I want to stop gossiping. I want to stop lusting. But ladies, without the help of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to do it. You know, we're transformed from glory to glory by what? The Spirit of the Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us, that helps us, that guides us. And ladies, without his help, you might as well hang it up. You will not be able to walk within your house with a perfect heart. Well, David not only desires to be balanced in his music and to behave himself, but he vows to walk within his house with a perfect heart. Within his house would indicate David's private life in contrast to his public life. What's he saying? I want to live privately, with a perfect heart, a heart of integrity. He's referring to moral innocence. In fact, they tell us, uh, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, that say that the palace uh, in the biblical world, in the Old Testament, was a place that was given over to any kind of passion that a king wanted. A king could have a harem. I mean, we know Solomon had what? 700 wives and 300 concubines. I can't even imagine. I only had one husband. I can't imagine, you know, having a thousand but in the biblical world, they could do anything they wanted. A king could give himself over to any kind of passion. Read First and Second Kings sometime. How often do we read this? So-and-so became king, and they did what? They caused Israel to sin. Then their son was born. Then what happened? He made Israel to sin even more, and, and that's the way it was. It was a place that was wicked, and yet David says, I don't want to do that. I do not want to do that. I know the eye of the Lord is on me, even in the privacy of my own home. And ladies, I want to bring out again, what you are at home is what you are. Charles Spurgeon says this, piety must begin at home. Reader, how fares it with your family? Do you sing in the choir and sin in the chamber? Are you a saint abroad and a devil at home? For shame, Charles Haddon Spurgeon says. Ladies, what do you usually do when no one else is around? What do you do when no one else is around? Is it an activity that Christ would be pleased with? When you're away from your husband, your parents, 
or some type of authority in your life, what do you do? Where do you go? May I say in love to you this evening, that is who you really are. That's who you really are. Ladies, to pretend to be something religious when others are watching you is nothing more than religious hypocrisy. There were no hidden secrets with David, and ladies, there should be no hidden secrets with us. Well, David not only vows to guard his actions and his steps, but now in verse 3, he vows to guard his eyes. Notice what he says. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Now, when David says, I'm going to set nothing wicked before my eyes, he's using the word wickedness to describe something that is worthless or good for nothing. In fact, it's also a reference to a thing of Balaal, which would indicate in the Old Testament idolatry. What's David saying? I am pledging to keep my kingdom separated from idolatrous practices. We're not going to worship idols. We're going to worship the true God. And ladies, we know that many kings did not share David's heart. They were given over to idolatry. Now, maybe you're saying, well, Susan, this has nothing to do with me. I don't worship idols. I don't have a booty in my house. I don't have an image of stone or wood. But ladies, you don't have to have an idol in your house made of wood or stone to have an idol in your house. You can have an idol in your heart. Ezekiel talks about idols of the heart. An idol is simply something you want so bad that you would sin to attain it. An idol is something that takes loyalty over the Lord. We all worship something every day, right? Stuart Scott says this, we worship what we serve, what we speak about, what we sacrifice for, what we seek after, and what we spend time and money on, end of quote. Ladies, what is really important to you? Where does your time go? Where does your energy go? Where does your mind go? It could be possible that it is an idol. In fact, common idols that I've seen about for women through the years, uh, one that I think is probably the most uh, common idol for women is physical appearance. Um, We look at what is going on on social media today. I, I do have social media accounts, but I don't run them. My daughter does. And when I do get on there to see if anybody, I need to counsel anybody or try to guide anybody, I am, I am grieved. I'm grieved at what I see with Christian women posing, you know, in various positions and in their skimpy clothes and, you know, very narcissistic. Look at me. Look at my body. Look at my clothes. We're obsessed with physical appearance. Many are obsessed in our day with their weight, their makeup, their hair, and it becomes idolatrous. Women spend hours on their bodies making them thin, you know. I know women that have taken laxatives for years and years and years and have ruined their bodies by trying to be a certain size. Ladies, God doesn't care about your size. He cares about your heart. He doesn't care if you wear a size 8, but he does care about your heart. Ladies, an obsession with our bodies can be idolatrous. Other common idols that I've seen with women, having a carefree life with no pain, to the point that they find their solace in drugs, alcohol, psychotropic drugs, worldly pleasures. You know, we're a generation that can't deal with pain. We can't deal with pain, and I'm not talking about just physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain. We can't deal with pain, and we don't see suffering as a means to our sanctification. And so when things aren't comfortable for us, uh, then we, we turn to drugs or something like that. 
instead of turning to the Lord during our trials and our difficulties. Other idols that I see women have, material possessions, marriage, becoming successful in a career, being treated fairly, having the approval of others, food, sleep, sex, shopping, alcohol, uh, exercise, entertainment, and on and on it goes. Ladies, do you have any idols in your life? Again, I'm not talking about idols made of wood or stone, but anything that has taken your loyalty and affection from the Lord, that can be an idol. Well, not only would David's kingdom be separated from idolatry, but notice what he says. I'm going to get away from those who practice idolatry. Notice what he says. I hate the work of those who fall away. In other words, who fall away into idolatry. I hate that. I'm not going to have that cling to me. In fact, the word fall away has to do with apostasy. What's he saying? They've left the true God to worship the God of idols, the, the God of idolatry. And David says, those who worship other gods... Those who practice idolatry, they're not going to cling to me. Interesting Hebrew word. It has the idea of a snake that tries to adhere itself to your body. And I don't know about you, but if I had a snake that tried to adhere itself to me right now, I would fling it off on Rebecca and uh, <laughs> say, you know, bye, I'm out of here. But uh, that's exactly what he's saying here. I'm not going to be around people. They're, I'm going to get away from those kind of people that are involved in idolatry. I'm going to throw it off like I would a snake that attached itself to me. Now you might say, well, David's being ridiculous. No, he's not. Do you know David would have had the first five books of Moses memorized as a Jew? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He knew what the law said. You know what the law said? Exodus 23, 2, two listen to this. You will not follow a crowd to do evil. What's he saying? Get away from people who practice idolatry. Also, he would have had Deuteronomy memorized. Deuteronomy 13 says this, If your brother, the son of your mother, your son or your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend, your best friend, the one you love as your own soul, entices you secretly and says, Let's go serve some other gods. Get away from them. You shall not consent to them. Don't listen to him. Don't pity him. Don't spare him. Listen to this. You shall surely kill him. <laughs> Ladies, that's how serious God takes idolatry. And David says, I don't want to hang around anybody who is idolatrous. Now you might say, well, Susan, that's Old Testament. You know what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians? Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Ladies, I've seen many women that once loved the Lord, were serving the Lord. They got caught up in some women friends who drug them down the path of unrighteousness. Be careful. The Bible says a wise man chooses his friends very carefully. Choose your friends very carefully. And David says, I am not going to cling to those who worship other idols. I know many of us have probably seen others who were zealous for the Lord, who lived a holy life, and now they no longer do. Some of them have left the faith. Well, David goes on in his prayer for a vow for a holy heart in verse 4. Notice what he says. A perverse heart will depart from me. I will not know wickedness. David now vows that he will not know a perverse person, which means someone who is crooked or wicked. In fact, the word know here means to treat him or approve him as a friend. He said, I'm not going to have fellowship with that kind of person. Now, it's interesting, the Hebrew term for wicked here 
means to be morally depraved, and the Greek equivalent is poneros, which we get our English word, pornography. David is saying, I am not going to allow any sensual, any form of sexuality that is sensual in my presence. I'm going to get away from that. Paul told the church at Corinth regarding the man who was committing incest and they were allowing him in church. He said, put that wicked man out. <laughs> get him out of your church. Ladies, don't be deceived. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. You can be affected by hanging around those who are morally evil. And ladies, when we think about it, we live in a culture uh, that is very different from David's culture. Uh, we live in a culture where most every one of you in this room has some type of a device. You have an Android, you have a Samsung, you have an iPhone. And with the touch of your finger, porn, pornography can be at your access. In fact, a recent statistic, one out of every six Christian woman that was polled admitted to looking at pornography once a month. One out of every, now I, I use that term Christian lightly because I believe genuine Christian women aren't going to be doing that kind of stuff. But one out of every six women that were polled recently, this is a recent poll, admitted to looking at pornography. Ladies, I know families that have been destroyed by pornography. Marriages have been ruined. It used to be just men, and it's not anymore. In fact, when COVID happened, uh, pornography statistics for women went way up. And I know I'm counseling more women now with pornography problems than I ever had before. It used to just be the husband, but it's not so much anymore. In fact, did you know sex is the number one thing that's searched on the internet? The number one thing searched on the internet. Ladies, we should be so careful. Um, we need to be, you know, we think we don't hang around people that maybe are sensual or sexual or can influence us. But what do we watch? What do we listen to? Uh, what do we search on the internet? What are you Googling? What are you looking at? Um, it's a sad indictment on our nation. And I would encourage you not only to protect your eyes, the eyes of your children, the eyes of your grandchildren. Um, I, I counseled a woman one time. Her, uh, she had six daughters, homeschooled all of them. At the age of four, they didn't know their four-year-old daughter was starting to look at porn, and she was getting up in the middle of the night doing this. She started to have bizarre behavior. By the time she was eight years old, she had tried to kill her mother four times. And uh, the last time, she burned the house down. And her mom was in the shower, and... Uh, uh, the other girls were in the uh, in the home, and my friend came out of the shower, realized the house, her, her daughter had gone out and got some gasoline and doused the bedroom, and uh, my friend had to break out a window and come around and get the rest of the girls. I have a picture of this little eight-year-old on my phone being arrested with handcuffs. Um, because once you start looking at that stuff, as James says, the lust just gets more and more and more, and you're never satisfied. And so that's what that little girl did. She's now 16. She's been out of their home for eight years. Ladies, pornography is a very serious thing. It just creates a lust and an appetite for more and more and more. Please protect the eyes of your children. Please don't hand them an iPhone at the age of two and say, here, have at it. Um, that is a very, very dangerous thing. Now, ladies, you might not look at porn, but what about the things that you view on television or the movies? You know, sensuality can flash before your eyes before you even know it. Have you noticed that? 
I mean, sometimes uh, I I remember just recently I was checking the Weather Channel uh, to see where what the weather was going to be somewhere I was going to speak, and uh, a commercial flashed on the Weather Channel and it had two lesbians kissing, and I'm like, really? I don't really want to see that. And uh, so it's hard, isn't it? Because we are we do have those devices and we do use them for good purposes, but we have to be so careful because sensuality can flash before our eyes before we even know it. The following poem pins it very well, called The 23rd Channel. The TV is my shepherd, I shall not want. It makes me lie down on the sofa. It leads me away from the scriptures. It destroys my soul. It leads me in the paths of sex and violence for the sponsor's sake. Yea, though I walk in the shadow of my Christian responsibilities, there will be no interruption for the TV is with me. It's cable and remote control and comfort me. It prepares a commercial before me in the presence of my worldliness. It anoints my head with humanism. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. My coveting runneth over. Surely laziness and ignorance will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house watching TV forever. You're all laughing, but uh, that's one of, you know, when I, when I lost my husband two years ago, one of the ladies who disciples me, she's lost too, and she said, Susan, you've got to stop thinking about what you've lost and start thinking about what you have, and I go, yeah, one of the things I have now, I don't have to watch Fox News, yes, so, uh, you know, that remote control used to drive me nuts, but with Fox News, I knew of someone who once had this motto written over their television, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Ladies, how do you handle inappropriate videos? television, movies? What about what you search on the internet? What about even catalogs? Sometimes at this time of year we receive catalogs in the mail. Ladies, sometimes those are nothing more than soft porn. It will affect your thought life. It will affect your holiness. David says, I'm not going to be around that stuff. I'm going to get away from those kind of people. Well, David now turns from a vow for a holy heart to a vow for a holy home in verses 5 through seven. Notice what he says. He says, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. David mentions those who secretly slander will be destroyed. The word for slander means to wag the tongue. And notice the slander is in secret. We rarely slander, right, to the person's face. That's why we call it backbiting, because we do it behind their back, right? We don't do it to their face. Ladies, a good practice is this. If you wouldn't say what you're about to say to a person's face, you shouldn't say it behind their back, right? That's called slander. And David says, I'm going to destroy people like this. I'm going to wipe them out to the point of extinction. I'm not going to tolerate slander. And again, you might be thinking, whoa, David is really, I mean, he's over the top. No, he's not. Leviticus 19.16 says this, you shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. Slander was a serious sin, and it should be even now, right? John Calvin says uh, talkativeness is a disease of women, and it gets worse with age. So see what you have to look forward to? But uh, an older woman in Titus 2, she's not to be given over to slander. Ladies, maybe slander is not a problem for you. That is great. I hope it's not. But do you participate it by listening to it? If so, you're just as guilty. You need to stop all gossip, all slander. In fact, when I have people come to me and uh, they want to tell me about so-and-so and so-and-so, and I'll say, have you gone to so-and-so and so-and-so? And if they say no, then I say, I'm going to hold you accountable to do that. 
uh, that's not right. You need to go to that person. You need to take care of what's ever in your, in your heart. My husband used to take it a step further. He would say, let's get in my car right now. We can drive over to their house, and you can just tell them what you just told me. So that shut it all down. They never went to him anymore after that, but uh, they would come to me. David was not afraid to cut off slander, ladies, and we should not be afraid either. Next notice, David next vows for zero toleration in pride of others. As he mentions those who have a haughty look and a proud heart, he said, I will not endure them. I will not tolerate them. The idea of a proud heart means one who has a broadness of heart like a sea or a country. Ladies, this is one of the seven things the Lord hates the most, according to Proverbs 6. These six things the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. You know what the first one is? A proud look. A proud look. Now, you might be wondering, how would David know when someone had a proud heart? How do we know when someone has a proud heart? How do we know when someone is haughty? What are the signs we look for? Well, some of the common signs that we look for of a proud person, they're argumentative. Have you ever been around someone that just likes to argue for the sake of arguing? That's a proudful person. Someone who's contentious. Someone who has the attitude like, I'm superior to you. Uh, you just don't know. I know everything. That you fall short of my standard. A person who's self-centered, self-sufficient, ignores their need of God, always having to express their opinion, always has to have the last word. <laughs> that is someone who is prideful. Someone who brags about all their accomplishments. That is someone who is prideful. I remember meeting a Christian woman for the first time as a pastor's wife. She was coming through the door and I went up to her and I said, I'm Susan Heck. I'm pastor's wife here. And she goes, well, I'm so-and-so and I can't wait for you to get to know me. And I'm like, okie dokie, that'll be really fun. And for the next 10 years, that's what it was. I got to know her, 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 and that was about all it was. And uh, she's a very prideful woman. And uh, it was a very um, sad 10 years to, to say the least. Ladies, that shouldn't be for us, right? And David says, I'm not going to tolerate that. I don't want to be around those kind of people. I don't want to be around people that are prideful. In contrast to the prideful person, David says, I will tolerate the faithful. Those are the ones that I'm going to be around. Look at verse 6. My eyes will be on the faithful of the land. Those are the ones that will dwell with me. David says, I don't want anybody that's prideful, but I want faithful people. This means someone who is reliable, someone who is trustworthy. In contrast to the argumentative person, the proud person, ladies, a faithful person is easy to get along with. They're cooperative. They're teachable. They're trustworthy. In fact, when I'm looking for women to serve alongside me in women's ministry, uh, either to be a table leader or helper or, or to serve on the women's council in my church, I look for fat women. Faithful, available, and teachable. Faithful, available, teachable. That's what you want. You want fat women uh, because you want women who are faithful, right? And they're available and teachable. I've, I have women in my church. Some of them are faithful, some available, but there's been some in the past. They're not very teachable. I won't put a woman in leadership if she's not teachable. That shows me she's very prideful if she doesn't take instruction well. So uh, ladies, those are the kind of people you want, faithful, available, teachable. And by the way, for those of you who are not married, that's the kind of husband you want, right? Faithful, available, teachable. That's the kind of best friend you want, right? Faithful, available, teachable. And you know what? The Lord looks upon faithfulness really, it's important to him, right? 
Hopefully one day you're going to hear and I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well, not only did the faithful ones David want, those he wanted around him, but notice what he says, those who are perfect will serve me. Now, David is not talking about sinless. No one is sinless. He's just saying, I want blameless people around me. I want people of integrity. I want people who are faithful. And unfortunately, we know David didn't always get that, right? Remember, Ahithophel, one of his dearest friends, turned against him. He even writes a psalm about him in Psalm 55. He was my dearest friend. We went to the house of God together. He lifted up his heel against me. He turned against me. Even his own son, Absalom, started a rebellion against his father. And remember when Absalom died, he said, oh, my son, Absalom, Absalom, I would have died for you. And so David didn't get his wish all the time here, but that's what he wanted. He wanted faithful men around him. And yet we know that uh, there were ones that turned against him. Well, in verse 7, David returns to the importance of being around those whose speech is upright. Notice what he says. He who works deceit will not dwell within my house. He who tells lies will not continue in my presence. Those who practice deceit will not be in my house, David says. What does deceit mean? It just means keeping back the full story, hiding a real motive behind an action, causing someone to be misled. Ladies, people that are deceptive, you cannot trust them. Have you ever been around someone that lies just to lie? It's hard to be around people like that, right? And yet lying was a virtue in David's time. They saw it as a virtue. We see it as a virtue. I mean, I just read something on our church thing before I came tonight. We have a church Yahoo group, and someone was saying now they're fabricating everything going on in Israel. Most of that stuff's not even going on. Just, you know, fabricating the videos, you know, with the artificial intelligence now. They can do all kinds of stuff. And we just have all these lies going on in the government and everywhere. It just seems like our nation doesn't even know how to speak the truth anymore. We've forgotten to tell the truth. But it's even in the church. It's even in our homes. But David says, those who practice deceit will not be allowed in my house. Someone who is a liar might find his way in David's house, but they would soon find their way out the door. And again, you might think, wow, David is over the top. No, he's not. Exodus 23.1 says this, you shall not circulate a false report do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Don't lie. Don't lie, right? Ladies, there was no toleration for David and there should be no toleration for us when talking, when lying or giving false reports. We should be truth tellers. Ladies, you need to tell the truth. And yet for the believer in Jesus Christ, many of us do not. And we are commanded by Paul to put away all lying. And ladies, it says in the book of the Revelation, all those who love and make a lie will not be in heaven. All liars will be outside of heaven uh, and find their place not in the kingdom of God. Well, David vows for a holy heart, holy home. Now he wraps it up in verse 8 for a holy city. Notice what he says. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. David vows for the city he lives in that it, he will destroy all the wicked. The word destroy here means capital punishment. Uh, David believed in capital punishment. God believed in capital punishment. According to Exodus 21, 23, uh, I believe if we had more capital punishment today, we would not see so much wickedness in our land. Uh, you know, an eye and an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Uh, they, they took sin 
uh, and killing and things like that in the Old Testament very, very seriously. And notice what David says here. I'm going to do this early in the morning. In fact, the Hebrew there is morning after morning after morning. That was the king's responsibility. That was one of the first things he did every morning. He executed justice. This is going to be my first business of the day. I'm going to destroy the wicked of the land. They might say, well, why would David do this? Notice what he says. I'm going to cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to excommunicate them. Why? You might say, Susan, this is really extreme. No. Where was David? Jerusalem. What is Jerusalem? Holy city. The city of our Lord. What is David saying? Jerusalem's a holy city. I want to keep it holy. Why? It is the Lord. I'm doing it for the Lord's sake. Ladies, David wanted Jerusalem, the place the Lord loved, to be holy and to be pure. And one day we will have this fulfilled when our king comes to set up rule. Won't that be a great time when he judges the living and the dead and all the wicked will be cast into the lake of fire? And that will be a glorious day, right? When, that, when this verse will be fulfilled when Jesus comes. Ladies, David ends his psalm with a concern about the honor of God and the purity of the people in the city of Jerusalem. Let me ask you, are you concerned about the honor of God? Are you concerned about the purity of your church that you attend and the people you worship with? Are you concerned about the purity of your city, your nation? Are you willing to admonish when needed? And what about your own personal life? Are you fighting for purity? Are you fighting for holiness and holiness? Ladies, many godly individuals, many godly institutions, many churches started out with a vow to live a holy life just like King David. But unfortunately, somewhere along the line, the way individuals, churches, and institutions, colleges and seminaries begin to compromise. We we're talking about one today that's going down the toilet used to stand for what is true. What is going to keep you from becoming a casualty? Ladies, you might not think there's anything you can do, but there is. And I want to give you some biblical and practical things to keep your vow to live a holy life like King David did before we close. Because I've titled this lesson, A Vow to Live a Holy Life, I want to leave you with seven steps that are in the acronym PROMISE, P-R-O-M-I-S-E, because the word promise is a synonym for a vow. And I want to give you some practical things that you can do to maintain a vow to live a holy life. The first thing that you must do if you want to maintain a holy life is to pray. I believe with all my heart, the main reason that we fail to live a holy life is because we do not pray. We do not pray. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? Watch and pray. So you do not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is what? It's weak. Ladies, make sure you have a vital prayer life. Make prayer a priority every day. Pray without ceasing. Fast and pray. David did. Most of the Psalms that he wrote are what? They're prayers. Psalm 101 is a prayer. He prayed. The next thing you must do is the R. Resist temptation. Resist temptation when it comes. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. 
God is faithful. He will, with the temptation, make a way of escape so you can bear it. But ladies, a lot of us don't want to take the escape hatch that God's provided for us. We don't want to be like Joseph. We won't say no to Potiphar's wife, right? And finally, he had enough sense to flee. Ladies, when temptation comes, we need to escape. We need to say no. We need to have self-control. We know Joseph suffered for doing what's right, but ladies, it's better to suffer for doing what's right than to suffer for doing what is wrong. We need to resist temptation. Find someone to hold you accountable that will help you in those areas where you're weak. The third thing we must do, older woman is a mess. This is the old, older woman is a mess. Ladies, I'm 67 years old. I've had two mentors now for 37 years. One is nine, assumed to be 91, the other's 81. Um, I don't know where I would be without these two women that have poured into me for 37 years. Uh, I would encourage you, find someone to disciple you. Find someone you can share your real struggles with that will hold you accountable, teach you the truth of God's word. Ladies, this is essential for every one of you in this room. If you want to walk holy, You've got to find someone to hold you accountable. The Christian life is not meant to go alone. A man who isolates himself brings himself to destruction. We need each other. We need to confront one another. We need to help each other. We need to pray for one another. And um, I, I really encourage you to find someone that you can share your real struggles with. Even David had godly people around him, right? Those are the ones he spent time with, evidenced by what he wrote in verse 6. The next is the M. I think this is vital if you want to live a holy life. Memorize and meditate on God's word. Memorize and meditate on God's word. Ladies, I know of no other way to change the way you think, which will result in the way you behave, than to memorize God's word. And I'm not talking about random verse here and there. I'm talking about great portions of scripture. Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I what? Might not sin against God. You know, Psalm 1 it was probably written by David. Remember what he said? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And listen to what he says. In his law, he what? Meditates day and night. It's, it's, he, he's constantly, the, the Hebrew word for meditate means to murmur in a low tone of voice until it becomes implanted on the mind. And David says the godly man, the godly woman, meditates on God's law, which have been the first five books of Moses, day and night. And then what happens? You're like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And whatever you do prospers. But the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away, right? Ladies, it's important. I can't, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of memorization and meditating in God's word. If I had my life to live over, that's one thing I would do is memorize as much of God's word as I could. The next is the I. Be intent on Christ. Be intent on Christ if you're going to live a holy life. What do I mean by that? Ladies, fix your heart on Christ. Set your affection on Him. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. Moth and rust doesn't get there. Thieves do not break through and steal. You will become like the object you worship. And there is no better person to become like than our Lord Jesus Christ. Set your heart on Christ. David was intent on Christ as evidence from what he writes. Unto you, 
O Lord, I will sing. The next thing is a privilege that seems, a principle, I'm sorry, that seems missing in some lives today, and that is the S, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I know the frozen chosen don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit, but I'm sorry. Uh, he's a very important part of our life. What do I mean by that? Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Ladies, yield to the Spirit's promptings. When that still small voice says, mm -mm, Susan Joy Heck, don't say that, don't do that. <laughs> Don't grieve him. Don't quench him. You know, one of the legacies my husband left to me throughout the years we were married is, Susan, don't ever violate your conscience. Don't ever violate your conscience. Once you do that, it gets easier the next time and the next time and the next time. Ladies, if you repeatedly ignore the Spirit's promptings, you will sear your conscience and become desensitized to sin. It is the Holy Spirit that enables you to be victorious over sin. David realized that. He says, oh, when will you come to me? I need your help. Last but not least, if you go through all of these and you still think, hey, I'm not getting any victory. I'm not living a holy life. I'm still walking in darkness. I'm still walking in sin. Last but not least, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Ladies, you cannot live a holy life if you do not have a regenerated heart. Make sure you have a relationship with the living God. Make sure you just don't have a mental knowledge of him. The demons believe, but they tremble. Make sure you have an intimacy with the Lord. Examine yourself, as Paul told the church at Corinth. Make sure, test yourself, that you are in the faith. I was deceived for many years. I wasn't a believer until I was 30, even though I got saved and baptized three times. And uh, I was a pastor's daughter, pastor's wife. And uh, I had a mental knowledge and assent to the gospel, but I did not know the Lord until the age of 30 when God saved me. For the first time in my life, I saw myself as a sinner, and I repented, and uh, my life has never been the same. David had a real relationship with the living God, ladies, evidenced by the fact that God even says he was a man after what? My own heart. So, dear one, if you want to maintain a vow to live a holy life, Pray, resist temptation, older woman is a must, memorize the word, be intent on Christ, be sensitive to the Spirit, and then last but not least, if all else fails, examine yourself. And you know, ladies, even those of you who know the Lord, you know for sure that you're a believer, you should still be examining yourself. You know, I often go through those tests in First John, James, Sermon on the Mount. Those are the three books to test yourself. You know, as John says, this is how you know if you know him, if you love the brethren. So I'll ask myself, Susan, do you love the brethren more today than you did last year? If I'm not growing in these things, I should stop and ask why, right? Because we're to be growing. We grow from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So even if you know tonight for sure you're a genuine believer, you should still be examining yourself. Don't become apathetic. Don't become uh, stale in your Christian walk with the Lord. Well, growing from a child to now an adult, I've grown to love a song that's not, oh, be careful, but one that has more grown-up words. It was written by Francis Havergal, who, by the way, had all the New Testament memorized, Isaiah, Psalms, and the Minor Prophets by the time she died at the age of 43. She wrote my favorite hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. And I want to close with just reading this hymn to you. And ladies, if there's anything in your life that is hindering you from a perfect obedience to the will of God, 
Would you please determine by the grace of God to put it to death? Will you vow to live a holy life? Listen to these words, please. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in endless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all for thee. Our Father in heaven, Holy Father, we come to you tonight with hearts that we know are not perfect. We know that we lack a holy life. We want to be holy as you are holy. Lord, we know we will not be perfect in this life, but we know that you require your children to be holy. And so, Father, I pray as we uh, just barely touch the surface of Psalm 101, that God, you would work in our hearts in those areas, whether it's with our words or our heart or the things that we allow our eyes to look upon or the places our feet go or the things our hands find to do, Lord, that are not holy. I pray that you would convict us of that. That, Lord, we would not waste our time and waste our life on trivial pursuits when we can be living a holy life for our King. So, Father, help us. Help us to not go the way of the crowd this day, that even in well-meaning churches, well-meaning friends, I pray that we would stand out, that we would be different, even if it cost us. I pray that we would be zealous for your sake, Father, and Lord, that we would vow to live a holy life so that that the Father might be put on display, that he might be glorified. We would ask this in his son Jesus' name. Amen.